In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Consciousness is expansive, like the girth of the average American. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. Eat a mushroom, lick a frog, suck anything goes to Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. So, Jeff. So, Jer. Um, are we going to do a giant uh, comedy intro? A big bit? Something uh, crowd-pleasing? No. No. We're going to talk about the uh, the homework that you gave me this afternoon, which was to watch the Ghost Hunters, or I'm sorry, the UFO Hunters episode right. of uh, uh, about the uh, underwater Area 51 type thing. Yes. So, um, yeah, I wanted you to watch that because, uh, you have said time and again, it's completely possible that we could have something mile long craft that we would hide in an underground or an underwater base. And, uh, certain other entities on the internet have said, no, that's impossible. That's impossible. And here is an episode that makes, uh, the case that it is possible. Not that it definitely is happening, but that it's possible. Um, was that your takeaway? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's it stands to reason that if you're looking at um, some kind of, of craft, whether it be a, a you know, soft-bodied platform, lighter-than-air type thing, or, um, or even a, a structured object of some kind with some kind of new propulsion to it, that, you know, the place, the place to hide something like that would be underwater. I mean, the, the planet is mostly water. Um, you know, a, a, a mile is a mile, but a mile is a hell of a lot easier to hide in the ocean. <laughs> I right. mean, I mean, uh, I, I don't know that that's exactly what it is, but it, it's, it's definitely to me in the realm of possibility to, to hide something like that underwater. Uh, I did find it really interesting in the episode though, where they were following some kind of, of line, that was uh, seemingly to come from uh, the base, which I can't remember the name of, um, which went down into the water and then down into the chasm um, out from shore, which was some – I forget how many – how deep that is. It's it's ridiculous depth. It's one of the deepest places in the ocean, I think they said. Yeah. And it just – this line apparently just goes right down into it and they couldn't see to go any further and they damn sure weren't going down there with this tank strapped to their back. Um, so what yeah, that, it was, what a, that it was is, just, it was a small cable just so people are aware of what we're talking about. There's a small cable going from this, this base on a shore, this, this Navy base, right. uh, going out into the ocean and thousands and thousands of feet into this grand Canyon, essentially type chasm. Um, and it's too, it, what was, it was too small to be 
Right. Um, it couldn't have been a telephone type cable because they're about six right. and a half inches across, whereas this one was more like one and a quarter inches across. It's a very thin cable. It wasn't anything, you know, like you might have seen on Gilligan's Island years ago where a, a phone cable <laughs> washed up on shore. It's this big honking uh, yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of hoping they just haul it up, you know, or 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 cut it off, you <laughs> cut know, it. just snap the cable, <laughs> see what happens. How about we just cut it? Okay, yeah, <laughs> go ahead, Pat, cut it. Um, no, I mean, it it just went off into this deep hole. Now, what that could be, I don't know. Maybe they've got uh, maybe they've got some kind of sonar hooked up down there that they're you know maybe power they have that giant or... Leviathan from Clash of the Titans. No, you're looking at me through the webcam <clears> like I'm an idiot. Anyway, um, <laughs> and I no, can't understand um, why. I mean, uh, it could be uh, some kind of undersea base of some sort down there that our military has made. Um, I don't know. I guess. I guess the big question for me, uh, you know, in examining my own thoughts on that is, what do you do with a mile wide craft? I mean, what what would you do with it? I guess you could always, you know call a battalion, uh, uh, you know, out to war with it, but we've not seen that happen yet. Um, I just, an, an intimidation tool. I mean, I don't know. Well, what do you make of Joe? They had Joe McMonagall, who is a remote viewer. What do you make of, I mean, do you find remote viewing credible? Did you find what he had to say credible? He basically said he saw, uh, some sort of saucer type craft maneuvering around under there, uh, via his psychic powers, um, and uh, an alien-type entity with three fingers controlling it. Did, have you seen three-fingered aliens? Does this uh, ring true to you? No. <laughs> no to which? <laughs> Both? Pretty much all of it. Yes, all um, of them. Yeah, I don't, um, you know, I don't know. I don't say that there's nothing to remote viewing at all, but um, I think that it is, it is, uh, extraordinarily fallible at best. I don't think that there is a, um, a real good, uh, I don't know, maybe some people can do it better than others, but I don't, I don't think there's a real good case for remote being remote viewing being a extremely, you know, valuable worthwhile tool. I mean, I know that they, the military definitely utilized it, tried to study it. Um, whether they do anymore, I don't know, but I don't, um, I don't personally put a great deal of stock in it. That's just me. Um, right. You know, the three-fingered alien, it's just, uh, I mean, didn't we see that in War of the Worlds? <laughs> three-fingered aliens? I, Maybe you that's know, what he was looking it, at. It's, it's, Maybe that's what he was viewing. Who knows what he was viewing? Um, uh, you know, it, it could have been the guy from, uh, oh, that's terrible to say that. I can't say that. Go ahead. What? <laughs> What if it was the guy from Axemen? Did you ever see Axemen? No. There's one of the leaders. No, did he chop off his fingers? Yeah. <laughs> Not good. I didn't mean that. That's really rude. Well, you know, remote viewing is a good gig if you can get it. I mean, if you can prove that you worked for the government, you can pretty much then just say whatever you want. Well, that's that's the what I that's exactly what I said when you know when they asked him something about. Uh, um, did he say something about, did you view aliens inside the base? And he's like, well, I can't tell you that. <laughs> yeah, of course you can't because you don't know. Um, <laughs> I just, I just, you know, I, I just, I don't put a great deal of stock in that. I mean, I thought the funniest part of the show was when they said, now we need to go to somebody to help put it all together. Yes! 
And yes, they go and to it's this Maximilian hmm. vampire from oh, France. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the nut. You know, I mean, let, let's go to the crazy guy. Let's uh, yeah. let's see so where he's coming Bill from. Bill Burns saying this. Bill Burns is like, now we need to go to someone to help put it all together. Right. Here's this crazy guy. Right. <laughs> and he connected it. Let me see. Everything from extraterrestrials <laughs> to ultra dimensionals to multiverses to Atlantis. Right. Ooh. Uh, and then the show took a, an abrupt turn to. Uh, uh, the Bermuda Triangle incident with the gentleman that flew his plane through a cloud tunnel, and and that I do find that a bit interesting as far as that that uh, guy actually picking up several hours, I think, and and being right. heavy on fuel when he should have been light on fuel, coming from where he was, going to where he was going. Um, but uh, you know, then we go to the the couple that found the large, seemingly large blocks of. Uh, Hand chiseled stone under the ocean, which again I find interesting, but I have heard natural, plausible explanations for that, whether or not that's, well, that's man-made or not. I have their documentary on Bimini Road, mm-hmm. um, and I believe, if I'm not remembering incorrectly, uh, it turns out that that what they think is man-made there is not man-made. It is natural rock formations. Right. It's like ah oh, shucks, Mister. Right. We- <laughs> so um, you know. I mean, that was all interesting. I, I found the dive that they did with the with the wire pretty interesting. I definitely found the two men who gave their accounts of seeing very large things in the water um, really, really, you know, interesting. I mean, I do wonder what the what the one man saw standing on the, the ship and looking down and seeing these large tubular uh, uh, objects in the water, of which he said he could see neither end. Um, the thing just seemed to come up and, and go down without breaking the surface of the water, made no wake whatsoever. Um, uh, and the other man who was looking at sonar and, 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 you know, the captain of the ship says, we've got a, a, you know, a land object out there that's about a mile or to three miles across and it's right in front of us. And there was not supposed to be an island there. And then it, it apparently sank down and went back down. Now what that is, I don't know. Could it have been some kind of radar uh, abnormality show up? Absolutely. Could it have been anything? I mean, we we don't know. Uh, well, these are people also who work at the Navy base. So, they work at the base, yeah. Um, if they're flummoxed by what they're seeing, yes. I don't know. That that tells me that, that nothing's going on at the base. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, that, uh, I mean, there aren't verifiable people coming out of Area 51 saying right. – my God, I saw this thing and I have no idea what it is. Well, I just remembered the, the other funny part of the show, which I think uh, had me rolling uh, on the floor, was uh, Bill yelling at the helicopter outside the base, take us to the ETs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love you, Bill. <laughs> um, show us the ETs. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love how they. I, I love you know. To me, it's like I watch that type of behavior, and and I just you know I know how TV works, and so it really it bothers me that like History Channel thinks that it needs to infuse more fake drama into this story, which is already interesting. Like once you have a cable that goes into uh, you know a, a bottomless pit, a big hole extending yeah. from a naval base, like that to me is is a thousand times more interesting than, yeah, than the fake drama cool. you're creating between Bill Burns and a helicopter. Right. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I found that intriguing. I mean, you know, God knows what that is. You would think that if it was some kind of underwater base down in that hole that, uh, you know, that we'd be looking at a lot more cables than just a, 
uh, pencil-sized cable going down right. over the side. I mean, you'd think you'd have big power cables and air, and uh, you'd see bubbles coming out of there at some point. So who knows? Maybe the thing goes down so far and then goes back up and comes up on the other side somewhere. Who knows? Um I thought that was moderately interesting. I did find, like I said, that the most compelling part was the two men telling their accounts of seeing things in the water there. Um, I thought that was very interesting, and I would have liked to have heard more of that. But, um, you know, there's all sorts of USO um, accounts out there that, uh, that that I find really, really interesting, mostly because a lot of them are naval, uh, uh, you know, our, our boys out there on the sea, and, you know, these guys live out there. They see every kind of weirdness that there is on the water and to see something that makes them afraid uh, or startles them or they think is weird, you know, it's got to be something uh, a little on the special side. So, you know, uh, we should do a show on that for sure at some point. Who we'd get, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, you know, even over in Gulf Breeze, they've had, uh, um, I don't know about fully submerged, but they've definitely had... um, some very strange things seen down near the water line. Um, and Bruce talked about the, the water spout UFO, which if, uh, if you're online, check out uh, Google and go over and, and search uh, Gulf breeze water spout UFO. Those are some really interesting photographs and um, uh, even more interesting when you see them firsthand, which I did years ago. They're, they're really neat. So who knows? I don't know. That's, that was an interesting episode, but uh, it kind of went off tangent and, a million different places and but uh it was it was definitely like interesting yeah sort of sort of yeah and now here's another one uh sort of a lead into our guest which is i think i called you about this i was watching a fear and loathing in las vegas uh which came out in i believe 98 should i tell and him about the bats some of a bitch will see him <laughs> soon enough there's a scene in a hotel after johnny depp's character has been tripping out well hunter s thompson has been tripping out on acid um, he's in a hotel and suddenly the humans all around him shapeshift into reptilians and they right. have an orgy as reptilians are prone to do. Right. Uh, and this got me to thinking that, that all of this reptilian stuff that we hear about shapeshifting reptilians probably stems from someone's drug trip back when, and, and they got real paranoid about it because it was real to them at the time. Hence, shape-shifting reptilians. And they just, whoever originally started talking about this, left out the part about the drug trip. Or, you know, if we're going to go down that road, we can easily say that the uh, the 3M pineal gland uh, surge in some people makes them see lizards. But that's also a common theme in the DMT and psilocybin stuff. So, you know, it, it could come from any either of those things. Um but, uh, yeah, reptilians, what are you going to do? Yeah, but one thing it was not, as far as I'm concerned, was uh, representative of actual humans shape-shifting into reptilian beings. Yeah. You know, as a literal thing. I just don't yeah, see them yeah. all hanging out at the Ramada Inn, you know? Maybe that's just me. Well, you know, we haven't been there, so we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we have been to the X Conference, but that's at the Hilton. Right, yeah. Yeah, they don't <laughs> let reptiles in there. Um, anyway, why is that leading for this show, Jeff? Why? Because we have on young master Brandon Duhan, who uh, has taken the shamanic journey of a McKenna and uh, is here to set us straight on what's what with uh, that stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I feel I feel calmer already. Just just waiting for him to come on and talk with us. <laughs> ah, <laughs> ah, yes, yes. Ah. You'll hear what we mean in just a moment. Please welcome to Paratopia, an avid listener. I think of another show, but hopefully an avid listener of this show as well. <laughs> no, avid listener of this show as well. You may know him as Brandon D from the boards, but uh, that D, that's D stands for Duhan. So Brandon Duhan, thank you very much for coming on. Um, we got a bunch of stuff we want to cover, but mainly um, ever since we spoke with Dennis McKenna about the magic mushrooms and the ayahuasca and all that fun stuff, um, there seemed to be some contention on our forum about... You know, whether how loosey goosey Dennis McKenna and even Terrence rest his soul. Uh, we're playing with the facts in terms of um, just how coherent uh, an experience, for instance, DMT or ayahuasca produce. Uh, and you're a what a giant junkie? I mean, what's your what's your qualification to speak? Yeah, that's it. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> No, it's right, I out, think... it's right out of the gate, Brandon. You don't wait around for insults here. The Paracast goes half a show, and then they go for the juggler. We just do it right <laughs> off the gate. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Yes, <laughs> I thought it would be it would my experiences would be interesting for for people to hear because one, my first experience was in Peru, and I was thirty, and I'd never taken any drugs of any kind before that. So I sort of jumped right into the the deep end of the pool, and this would be a perspective. I'm I'm not really a hippie or anything like that, so. I guess would be the perspective if somebody would like to get the perspective from somebody, like say if one of you guys wanted to go, how it would it might be like mm-hmm. or something like that, you know? And yeah. Rather than I don't know, somebody telling the story who's been who hangs out with a bunch of hippies has been doing psychedelics all their life and is maybe like sort of, you know, fully indoctrinating into the idea of what psychedelics are, you know, and all that sort of mythology around them and everything like that. Did you hear the uh, Dennis McKenna episode? Yeah, yeah, I, I liked okay, it. Okay, so how do your experiences differ from from his, and how are they similar? Okay, um, the way that they differed is um, when I went to Peru the, um, with the, the sort of program, I guess you call it, that I was in, I, I went through five ceremonies, so I took it. I took ayahuasca five times. And uh, over the course of, of about 12 days, and uh, each experience was kind of radically different. Ranging from the second ceremony, I, I lied there for about six hours and nothing at all happened. I just lied there listening to everyone else in the room throwing up. Huh. Hmm. And so one time, nothing at all happened to the, uh, the very next ceremony. Everything's the same, exactly the same. And I had I had pretty much the most uh, terrifying experience of my life. What was that? Well, that one it, it's kind of a long a long story, but um, that one we got tons of time. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote it. I actually, luckily, my friend gave me a a journal um, right before I left, and I'm glad that that uh, she did because I wrote stuff down. Otherwise, I would have forgotten a lot of it. But let me look here. Uh, basically, I I uh, I was lying there, and you can kind of you can kind of feel when it's when it's starting to to come upon you. I guess I I don't know exactly how how to describe it, but it's like you you start to feel like like something's different, and uh, 
but at this particular time, I started to feel like um, someone was, was approaching or some sort of force was approaching. And I, was, I started to get more and more terrified. And basically the shaman, um, well, let me sort of give you the setting. There's a, there's a, big, a big giant uh, sort of ceremonial hut goes to a, to a point at the top. And they do the ceremony at night. There's a group of people all inside and they're all lying on cots. And they go around and they give everybody a cup of this absolutely disgusting stuff, which in the, in the first couple of days we were there, we helped them prepare it. We went around, like picked all the roots and things like that, mashed them up. So it was like the stuff we sort of made ourselves. But anyway, you, you go into the, the hut. They, they have these little lanterns in there because it's in the middle of the jungle. And then when they turn off the lanterns, it's, it's more or less pitch black, except for the, you know, the light coming in from outside, just um, stars and stuff. So that's the sort of setting. You just drank it, and now you're lying on a cot, and then it's pitch black in there. So um, the shaman had said if any of us felt like something was going wrong or we were in trouble to, uh, to call out for help. But uh, my, my sort of bent of personality, I really don't like asking for help. I don't, I don't like feeling obligated to anyone, so I don't like asking for help. And so I, I started to feel like uh, something was, was happening and it, it felt like something was happening that was bad and uh, that possibly something had gone wrong and I was going to die. Like I, I felt like my mind was disconnecting, like, it's, like it had separate parts and they were disconnecting from one another. <clears throat> and I, I wanted to call for help, but it, I really didn't want to do it. So I just resisted and resisted and resisted and whatever this thing was, kept building and building until finally I, I couldn't resist anymore and I called out for help and they they came over there and I felt like some sort of, uh, I guess, entity was uh, living inside me and it was uh, like uh, it had some sort of symbiotic relationship with me. But it was it was like a, like a, or more like a parasitic relationship or something like that. And uh, it was somehow linked to my mind so I could think what it thought I thought, and what like the, I guess it was difficult to distinguish what was what, but it was it was definitely I uh, sensed it as something that was not me. Huh. Let me oh, ask you something real quick. Um, uh, since we're kind of early on in this experience, I, I I'm kind of I have heard that before from different people with the ayahuasca where. <laughs> there's a parasitic thing that is ultimately throughout the ceremony is, is removed from them or leaves them. I often hear this kind of stuff, but I think moreover what I guess bothers me about trying any of this stuff uh, myself is what, what is, what is your physical self feel like? What it, not so much what you're feeling emotionally or spiritually, but what do you feel physically? How does your body feel? Do you feel normal? Do you feel weird? That's, that's really interesting because it 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 runs the entire gamut. Like one another one of the things um, that they do there in this in this particular um, uh, shaman place that I went to, you have sort of a uh, whenever you uh, request to go to it, they send you a list of um, all these sort of restrictions you have to agree to, such as uh, for a week beforehand and during and afterwards, you can't have any sugar or any alcohol, or any sexual activity, or any pork, and then you just list this big, long list of things, which they say apparently have 
sort of a negative reaction with the ayahuasca, so you shouldn't take any of these things. So um, I don't know. I don't know um, if that necessarily has anything to do with it. But since you're mentioning the sort of physical reactions, but the um, the physical reaction is, is really difficult to describe, but it, it ranged from that one I was talking about, which I sort of called my, my hell experience because that was, but it, it only happened that one, in that one particular one, it, it felt like, I don't know, like the, the unified me that I'd always imagined was there was actually sort of a conglomeration of separate things and now they were disconnecting from one another. Huh. And, uh, and it felt exactly like dying, like disintegrating. And, okay. uh, and so I, I started to just become terrified. And then I, I, was, I was in this sort of indescribable state where I, uh, I sensed this, this being. And I don't know, this, this, the third ceremony is probably the most difficult to, to describe because uh, it, was, it was completely subjective and inside of me. I had some other experiences that were that were group experiences where other people experienced the same things and those were those were easier to describe because I could talk to other people and have them confirm it and stuff. But with this one it was it was all inside of me. But it does remind me there was something I'd wanted to mention. I, I mentioned it briefly to Jeremy, which was um okay, so I was I was telling you about how that sort of thing took o- took took over me. Right. And uh uh-huh. well I was I was in that state, and whenever the shamans came over, one of them was a woman, and she told me to repeat these phrases over and over again, um, which were like sort of like religiously tinged. They said like, "Thank you, God, for this gift of life. Thank you for always protecting me." All these different sort of things, I had to repeat them, and I was definitely not feeling that at all. But I was doing what she said, so I was repeating them as quietly as I possibly could because I. I guess one, I didn't want anybody to hear me repeating them. I was kind of embarrassed, and then two, I was not feeling thankful at all. So I was just, I was just, you know, I was following what she said, but I was doing it, you know, so quietly that it was pretty much just to myself. Right. And I was lying there, just repeating it to this point where I, I felt like I had been so completely gone that the only thing existing was this, these words repeating it was the only thing that I was sort of hanging on to. Anyway, it was, it was absolutely terrifying but um to to fast forward um the the next morning i i got up and i went into i I skipped breakfast i just laid in bed because i felt kind of like a zombie i was i just was completely drained of energy i went i went into to uh the sort of common room for where there was lunch and everyone sort of turned around and looked at me and they said i had a good night eh they were sort of laughing i thought like and that's really the callous. That was really bad. And I'm like, I didn't have a good night at all. And they said, uh, well, you, you could have fooled us. And I, I asked them what they were talking about. And they said that uh, I was singing. And I was, I was shouting out, like, praise the Lord. And I was singing out loud. And everyone in the room heard me. And I, I know for certain I was not doing that because... I did not feel. I was definitely not singing. It was. It was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I, oh. I mean, as as far as the scariest thing, I can't. I can't even possibly reconcile that in my mind. How these two things were were simultaneously happening. I don't know. But um, well, when when you had the um, the when you were realized that you had a, some sort of parasitic being in you, did you 
exercise it or did you get rid of it? What, what ultimately? Oh, okay. Well, I guess this is one of the other very bizarre things about my particular experience here where people were throwing up like, over and over through all five of the ceremonies. Um, I threw up once and the other four I didn't at all. Only in this third ceremony, whenever I, I sensed this thing, that was the only time. And another thing is oh, that this, this stuff, at least for me, it was a, um, it com- it kind of completely took over my body. Where it was, it was a strong effort even to roll over. It was, it felt like it, it completely took my body over. But when I had to throw up, some sort of thing in me felt like lifted me up and lifted me over the thing because I, I couldn't do it myself. I, I have no idea what what that was all about, but I just uh, threw up something something black. <laughs> And, what was uh, the uh, what was the visual like on this on this thing, or or could you not? Is it would it be one of those things that is just impossible I, to describe? I would, I would say kind of like the, the sort of textbook, you know, shadow person kind of thing. It was okay. it looked kind of like a I don't know, like the evil Spider Man or something like that. You know, that huh. black. I okay. don't know. It was it was just. A, I mean, it definitely wasn't sort of a sharply defined thing, right? Because this was, did you did you see it leave your body? Did you see it go I, away? I didn't. I actually write in here that I that I don't think it left. I remember writing that afterwards. Um, I think I wrote it. You know, the next morning when I woke up, I think I remember writing in here. I don't think it left. And uh, this that's the one part that I think um, I can say more or less. I sort of stepped into the situation without any sort of preconceived notions of what happened, but. I did, but I did know the idea of in shamanism that sort of your complexes and problems have to do with sort of these discarnate spirits that are sort of, you know, parasitically feeding off of you. So I did know that ahead of time. So that's why I, I say this one, you know, this could have been some sort of my interpretive overlay on that. But the other things that happened to me, I weren't really uh, related to anything I knew ahead of time because I was I had I had read a um, a little bit of the first Carlos Castaneda book before I went there and I remember thinking yeah it's kind of neat but it didn't really uh, do anything for me and so I didn't finish it so I, I knew very little about this sort of this sort of thing so what were some of those uh, better experiences um, it, or more foreign experiences? they were they were near the end um, the the first the first two were were very vague and then they seem to strangely enough they seem to kind of follow a narrative the the five experiences leading to this sort of massive experience at the end but one of the ones that I think that people listening would be interested in would be that um, when I when I first went there I you know I, they introduced me to some of the other people involved and they were from all around the world. And one of the people I met, um, he wouldn't look me in the eye when I shook his hand, and I kind of thought, I don't trust this guy. And later on, I found out that uh, he didn't look me in the eye because he was blind. And uh, he, had, he, had, he had his girlfriend there, teach me not to judge people <laughs> so quickly. But um, uh, he had his girlfriend there with him, and she wasn't really interested at all. She was just there kind of to guide him around the city. Was she hot? She was she was pretty hot. <laughs> Jesus Christ, blind guys can work like But um he basically after the fourth ceremony, um this 
whenever they turned on this little lantern, that meant that the ceremony was officially over and you could get up and go to your cot, leave or, or stay in the ceremonial room if you wanted to. Well, pretty much every night I stayed in the ceremonial room every, through the whole night because for some reason, it, it, it maybe because I had never done anything before, it just bowled me over where I was still tripping, for lack of a better word, hours after everyone seemed to be done. And, um, well, after this one, I had made a friend there, this girl named Paige, and um, after the fourth ceremony was done, um, I was lying there just sort of trying to get my bearings, I guess, and she, she came up to me and she said, come outside, come outside. And I said, I don't think I can. So she gave me a hand and kind of stumbled outside, and we walked outside, and the outside had somehow completely transformed. Everything was covered with a silver light, and my eyesight is not that great, but I could see crystal clear. It seemed like I, it seemed like I could see as far away as I wanted with, with perfect clarity, and there were a group of about eight of us out there, and I was asking them what they were seeing, and they, we were all seeing the same thing. And I was—I felt like I was in a Harry Potter movie or something like that. It was—it was—it was incredible. I didn't—I didn't know how to describe it because the rest—the rest of the experiences up to that point were all more or less within my head because you're just in darkness in there. This was sort of my first exposure to the outside world, I guess. And uh, the moon was just incredibly bright. Every everything was—it it seemed so much different. Well, anyway, I was looking over and the. The blind guy was sitting out there. Well, I, I talked to him the next day, and, and he said that that night he could see and that he was seeing all the stuff that we were seeing. And oh. I don't know what to, what's, what to say about that, but um, that particular time we had, we had all, at least I, I was always, if I was seeing something and other people were involved, I wanted to ask them before I said what I saw so I could see if, you know, it was the same thing. And... Whatever that, whatever that particular one was, it was all the same thing. And uh, <clears throat> another, another one was uh, in the last ceremony. Like I said, um, you can kind of feel when it hits you because you definitely feel like you're in some sort of altered state. But for some another reason, another strange thing was it took a while for it to hit me. Some other people it would, it would hit them right away within you know the first couple of minutes. For me, it took about half an hour to forty five minutes before before uh, I could feel it, you know, rumbling in like a tidal wave or something like that. And, uh, well, in this last ceremony, I took it, and I was lying there just sort of waiting for it to, to come. And then I noticed uh, this strange uh, point of light, and it was sitting over the shaman's head. And I just lied there looking at it, and I kind of leaned over, and I, I still had complete control over my body. Everything was normal. I was thinking totally normal, like basically everything in the world was completely ordinary except for this point of light that was floating over his head. It was, uh, it was kind of orangish colored. I looked at it and I was like, is that a, a star shining through the hut? And I kind of sat up, so I still had full control over my body also, and I, I leaned over to try to get a look at exactly what it was, and I thought maybe it's... Cause I know they had these flashlight helmets in case they had, had to sort of maneuver their way through the darkness, you know? I thought maybe it was somebody's flashlight helmet reflecting off the roof or something because it was kind of high up and then it started uh to move through the air and when it would when it would move it uh it would 
change color and it had sort of a directional aspect to it, like almost like a little spotlight flying through the air and then it would stop instantaneously, turn back to orange. And then it would move off and then it would stop, but it never moved over the shaman and his apprentices. It stayed over them the entire time. And I just kept watching it running through sort of an inventory in my head. What the hell could that thing be? And I grew up around a bunch of lightning bugs, so I was, is that some sort of lightning bug? But they, uh, you know, they're greenish and they, they flash sort of little patterns. This thing was just steadily on, and it was, if I sort of pull my eyes squinty, I can see really sharp, you know, my eyesight gets sharper. And so I pull my eyes squinty, and it was, it was just the tiniest little pinpoint of light flying around and then just sort of instantaneously stopping and hovering above them and then um, after watching it for about 10 minutes it it zipped off to my left and I rolled over and just sort of watched it fly off out of out of my sight and then uh, later on um, the shaman sort of went around to check on everyone and that same woman from the from the other ceremony I, uh, I told her I saw something uh, floating over your guys heads uh, what was it? And she didn't hesitate, and she said that was Don Alberto, who, and she said that was the the shaman who was the teacher of the current shaman. But what was weirder than that is uh, he's not dead; he's still alive. So um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what that means. But anyway, afterwards, um, I was that was you know just strongly stuck in my head because it was the only experience that was that happened that wasn't didn't feel at all like an altered state. So afterwards, I, I talked to other people in there, and I asked them if anyone had seen it, and, and six other people had seen it, and they described it just like I had seen it. And uh, one of the ladies was like, yeah, I saw it. It was just a, it was just a lightning bug. And then I, I asked her to describe it, but she described it, you know, exactly how I had said it. Like, that's, that's not how a, a lightning bug, you know, it doesn't just, like, zip around and then just sort of, you know, stop like a, like a little tiny UFO or something like that and, and not blink and change colors and things like that. And so uh, I, I don't know what that is, but um, there, was, there was also a, a few of the people there who, were, it wasn't their first visit, it was, uh, they were coming back because uh, apparently, according to this shaman, when you, when you take this substance, it sort of opens, opens up a door and, uh, and then it's sort of the shaman's job to, you know, take care of all the garbage inside and then afterwards to sort of close the ceremony and close everything back. Well, for whatever reason, these people had hadn't closed back right. And so they were, uh, <clears throat> they were coming back to get, get something fixed, I guess. And this guy, who, this particular guy I'm talking about, he said um, before the, the ayahuasca even would come up to his lips, he could hear the voices talking to him. Like he could, he could feel it coming before before he'd even drink it, and um, and ba- and he said he when he saw that light, he uh, he said out loud, uh, "I miss you, Alberto." And that that uh, that shaman was at the previous ceremony, that, so he had actually met him, and and whenever he said that, I I told him what the shaman had told me that that dot was Don Alberto coming to to oversee what was going on. And he was he was very uh, very spooked by that. But, um, so wait, when you saw that light, you didn't um, you weren't in any sort of altered state. You didn't feel yourself going. I didn't feel into an altered anything state. anything at all. I had complete control over my body. I, my mind felt totally ordinary. And to make it even more 
like to make it stand out even more after the thing flew off about five minutes later whoosh i felt it come on just like it had the other times Hmm. and because you know what what i'd like to say is like well gee okay so there's um there's the personal experience when you ingest the drug and then there's these people doing magic around you and when they're doing magic they maybe draw you in via the same mechanisms in the brain that are receptive to the drugs, but um, I guess not if you didn't feel like you're being sort of Im- compelled into that state. Well, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, than... maybe it, I could, I could definitely say that you know it, I had drank it, so it was probably having some sort of effect that I hadn't yet, you know, physically sensed or something like that. Well, do you get the sense that the, that these experiences are doors that are opening, or do you get the sense that it's all hallucination? What What's your feeling about it? I, I definitely get the sense. I was thinking if I were to think of a way to describe it, it'd be sort of how uh, Nathan Twining sort of in that memo described the UFO phenomenon. It's not visionary or fictitious, but I wouldn't go any further than that to say what I think it is. I think it's I think it's something other than just a uh, trippy, uh, you know, your brain being garbled or something like that. But I, I don't think I would, I would know enough to say more than that. Well, have you had lucid dreams? Um, I, I have, compare it to that. um, I have had some lucid dreams. Um, but How do they stack up? Um, not on, not on a full level of lucidity, but it's, it's def- there's definitely a similarity there. Like one of, one of the things, um, that, there's a there's a couple of things that I thought I would sort of describe the general psychedelic experience because since then after that experience happened I was um, I was just sort of left in awe because I guess something inside me knew that there was something to it but I, I just didn't know what and so I you know I I'd taken more psychedelic since then of different kinds and uh, they're they're different but there is a sort of a commonality running through them. Um, one of them sort of being that uh, you, you definitely uh, oops now <laughs> Cujo <laughs> Brandon are you okay um, she doesn't want me to talk about this um, um, <laughs> what was I saying um, oh um, well, one of them being that you, you definitely sense uh, um uh, connection between uh, your your mind and what's going on in the in the outside world. There's a there's some sort of a thread of connection there, and um, that you don't. It feels like it, it's it's always there, but you just don't feel it in an ordinary state. You feel it there, and it's and it's actually that's one of the things that's really frightening about it because you feel like you could lose your mind, like a there's this. There's this. Actually, this this legal psychedelic called salvia divinorum, which you may or may not have yeah. heard of, and that one is is actually legal. It's it's very uh, it's very brief. Um, at least it was for me, but it's it's extremely intense. And uh, with that one, I had I had the most intense experience. One of the most intense experiences like that, where I would I, I had there were other people in the room, and I looked at them and movements and activities inside my mind would make people act in a certain way. I could I could recognize cause and effect inside my brain and what people were doing. I have no idea what that means. 
um, say something, something inside of my head moves to the right and the person in front of me moves to the right following that. And this sort of, it's not like I'm controlling it, I'm just observing it. Like Donnie Darko. I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm, this is, I'm definitely right now describing something I, I don't fully grasp, but it's something like that. But sort of all the psychedelics have some similarity in that there's, um, like LSD and all of them, in, in that there's, you feel, that that's part of what I feel like is it feels like this hyper-reality. It's just everything is the same, but there's some additional thing in there, which is, you don't feel absolutely disconnected from the world outside of your head. There's some sort of thread attaching you and your observable world. I uh, that that's how it that's how it feels. Well, Brandon, have you have you partaken of the the magic mushroom? Um, yes, I have. That one that one was actually um, maybe I haven't taken enough, but that one's actually uh, the been the sort of the least spectacular of them all but like they say it's it's it could be the set and setting and um only only um ayahuasca have we taken in sort of a setting in darkness and sort of a um i guess you could call it a reverent setting or something like that in other situations it was it was more or less social settings with with friends and you know, not necessarily like party settings or anything like that, but but with friends, and it was definitely a lot more casual. You know, uh, and, uh, how many grams would you say was the the most that you ever took of that? I actually, <laughs> I actually wouldn't be able to 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 measure that. Um, let me, I, I guess um, several several caps. These are dried, I'm assuming, right? Right. Yeah, these are dried, and um, that experience. I was at a sort of event, but it was out out in the in West Texas near Austin. There were there were bands playing music and stuff like that. And um, after a while, it started to make me uncomfortable, so I sort of walked out into the more like nature area. But it it was a uh, the experience with that was it was uh, much less intense than than say LSD or salvia or or uh, ayahuasca. I heard Salvia is is very. I mean, I, I, there's a couple guys that I've been talking to lately um, that I hang around with sometimes, and, and one of them told me, and he's pretty extensively experienced in psychedelics. Um, I think, with the exception of DMT, which is something he hasn't really done, he said that uh, the Salvia was terrifying to him. He said it was just so intense that it was completely overwhelming i mean so you would echo echo that to a certain it's, extent it's definitely it's definitely intense i think one of the things about it that um that makes it that way so terrifying is that the means of of uh taking it is uh is smoking it right well i guess i guess a lot of of the other ones are are that way too but um for whatever reason with uh, with ayahuasca, with LSD, with mushrooms, you sort of more or less ease into ease into the state. You don't, okay. but but for whatever reason, at least with me, as soon as I exhaled, I'm in another <laughs> world. Right. As, as soon as the exhale happens, and I don't huh. even know. I don't even know. Uh, it's it's like one moment. I'm breathing and everything seems normal in the next moment. What is, uh, what about as far as DMT? Have you tried that? 
Well, DMT is the active ingredient in, in ayahuasca. ayahuasca. Right. Yeah. But so have that, you, ever that, done, you ever done, you know, straight DMT as far as, you know, the, the crystalline DMT? Um, no. I actually, I actually don't really have connections or anything like that. It's right. just all been sort of um, happenstance and I guess just sort of um, friends knowing that I've been to Peru and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, a circumstance comes up and, you know, and then they know I'd probably be interested in that sort of thing. But I, I don't really have any sort of <laughs> connections to get something that I would want to get or anything like that, which I guess right. I'm okay with. I'm, I'm sort of uh, going <laughs> to, you know, let, I guess, fate take its course in this right. situation. Uh, yeah. What would you say... Um what would you say was the most powerful visual thing that you ever saw in any of these experiences? Um, okay, um, the most powerful visual thing was probably um, on LSD, and this was, I think this is, it's either that or, or the, um, the visual thing on, on ayahuasca when I went outside and right. saw the sky. But um, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about um, sort of looking into the outside world because there, there were tons of incredible visuals when you close your eyes that's a that's another commonality through them is that um normally when you close your eyes it's just you know pitch black but under psychedelics you close your eyes and there are immediately vivid visions of things yeah i'm kind of familiar with that <laughs> right away yeah, sort of but something happens. something i <laughs> yeah. something i'd wanted to describe under lsd was similar to something you were describing and it was um well, whenever I came home, I had you know told one of my friends about it, and we decided for uh, for Halloween that we would we would take LSD and go and sort of go walk around the city. And uh, they they said they were experts, and you know so I just sort of followed along with them, and we sort of walked around the city. Well, we walked onto this bridge, and I looked up into the sky, and this was the the first time I had had that sensation of. Um, there being a thread of connection to me in the outside world, I, I looked up into the clouds and I could feel this uh, direct connection between myself and the clouds and, and I could move them and they would stay there. Huh. And, and I'd look away and look back and the clouds were in a new position. I, <laughs> I was, and I, I just, I stood there in, in absolute awe because it was a gigantic panorama of clouds in front of me you know, stretching off into the horizon. I couldn't, I couldn't believe what, what I was seeing. But immediately after that, um, I saw what appeared to be a, a grid overlaying my view, my vision, and, uh, and this sense of terror sort of started to come over me as if I was seeing another something, something else, you know, um, like sort of how you had described, a sort of a grid overlaying your vision. That's what that's what had brought yeah. it to mind. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, that started to happen, and I almost felt myself starting to descend into it. And immediately then, uh, my friend uh, shook me and said, let's, let's go, and it sort of shook me out of it. And, uh, and, but that, that was the, that period right there was the, probably the most intense visually yeah. um, out looking into the, the outside world. Well, are you also an abductee or an experiencer? Or um, I've had I've had some weird experiences, but n- nothing nothing uh, abduction. I, just that that thing about that I uh, 
mentioned to Jeff about those those people in the in the sewer tunnel that right. uh, that uh, it's a it's a really bizarre story and I guess it could possibly be some sort of you know screen memory or something but it it, it definitely seems like a real memory. What is it? Um, when I was in seventh grade, my my friend and I uh, skateboarded down this ditch way into the woods to, I guess, just out of curiosity to find out where it led. And it ended up, you know, stopping at a sewer tunnel. And uh, it was about five feet tall. And we sort of looked inside, deciding if we should go any further. And uh, we heard uh, these voices calling for us to come into the tunnel. And we, we froze with fear. We were really scared. And I heard this instrument playing. And, uh, and the next thing I saw um, were like five sets of glowing eyes inside of the tunnel. And, uh, and in this part, I kind of like, there's, there's a little like bit of a disconnect or something. And then, uh, and then there were five, a family of five, a blonde haired, blue eyed, a man, a woman, and three little children all on bicycles came out of the tunnel that uh, I was looking at them as they were, they were talking to us. And, uh, the littlest kid was, must have been like five or six years old. And I remember looking at her eyes and thinking, she looks like she's on drugs. She had like dark circles under her eyes. And then the guy held up some instrument and said, next time you hear this, you'll know it's me. And then they rode away on bicycles. Jesus. And, and they were on bicycles that was inside of a sewer tunnel? They, out of a sewer tunnel? Yeah, they were coming. They came out of the tunnel. And, and afterwards, I, I, I seriously think I would have, I would have uh, just put this in my mind as some crazy imagination or something. But my friend was there and I said, did you see that? And we talked about their glowing eyes and he saw their glowing eyes. And I, otherwise I probably would have just thought, uh, I'm just, I was a little kid and I was imagining something crazy. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the hell that means. Well, did you, doesn't make any sense to me at all. Did you, did you ever hear that instrument again? Um, no, not that I know of. Okay. <laughs> I, I well, if a, you do, run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't need to tell me that. It was it was definitely very creepy. We were we were just sort of frozen and couldn't move. But um, huh. yeah, it was it was definitely bizarre. And well, do you do you know of anyone who has had abduction type experiences um, while taking ayahuasca or any of the other substances? No, I've heard of it. I don't have any. I don't have any. Uh, first-hand people I know that have had that. Is, but it's not, so it's not something that's prevalent. Um, no, I, I don't think so. What, sort of what, what Terrence and uh, Dennis were describing, it, it makes it sound more, um, more like a, you know how aspirin or some other drug has, it has sort of the same effect every time. Well, psychedelics are definitely not like that. And, it, and even in this one, you know how he said sort of set and setting, I was those five ceremonies, I was going to the same ceremonial hut. It was the same time of night. The five were, were radically different. In one of them, I was having visions of what, I don't know what they were, but they, my feeling is they were past lives of some sort. They were, I was seeing these other lives and uh, I was, I was crying. Like I was saying goodbye to them or something like that. And uh, I have, and then another one, you know, I have this like, completely terrifying experience which uh i just can't i can't compare to anything else that's happened to me in my life and then at the end i had uh the very last ceremony i had a um a feeling of of 
joy that I've never had in my ordinary life. It was uh, like a, as if I didn't know what that word meant until until it happened to me. I felt hmm. I felt genuinely happy, like I like um, I was in the presence of God or something like that. And and these were all in pretty much the same setting, so I I can't imagine that somebody could just expect to to say take mushrooms, for example, and and have the same sort of experience every time. At least I'm just saying that's the way it was for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when you're talking about ayahuasca, though, I mean that's that's uh, I mean especially down in Peru where they make it the old-fashioned way and and whatnot. I'm sure there's other ways to to generate that substance. I have to wonder when people talk about this kind of thing. I just watched uh, not long ago. Uh, a thing on TV. Jeremy and I watched it together, actually, um, called Mark and Ollie. Um, this is two guys who are on, I think, a History Channel show where they go and they lived with a... Um, it's actually the Travel Channel. Is it? Okay. Um, they live with a tribe, a different, very, very primitive tribe. Uh, and it was the Mashinga this time, and they actually had to go drink ayahuasca with a shaman to be accepted into basically a pilgrimage to this tribe's uh, very holy, sacred place. And I did notice a distinct difference in the two men who who took it. One was completely out of his mind, was talking to small creatures that he said were furry and small. Um, he ran into the woods. He was completely out of control a couple of times, whereas the other one seemed to have a lot more control over all his faculties including speech and description but you could definitely tell that he was seeing he was seeing things that that nobody else could see i have to wonder i mean not only is it a matter of dosage uh you know on versus your day one through day five uh were you getting the same amount every night and you know on the flip side of that you know i'm very susceptible to any sort of medication i take a xanax and i'm on cloud nine (laughs) Uh, you know, where some people can take three bars of Xanax and be happy. I have to, I'm sure that at certain points it's a question of dosage and then it's a question of individual tolerance uh, to these kind of compounds and the reaction that you'll get from them. I think that definitely makes sense. I mean, it's, it's made the old fashioned way. So who knows what, what amount of that active ingredient is in each cup. It was, it was more or less the same amount, except that, in the in the beginning, he says um, you can request how much you want, or you can tell him to let the spirit decide. And at that point, I'd never taken any drugs, so I was just like, okay, you can you can decide how much because I have I have no idea. And uh, so, but it was it was more or less the same amount every time. Um, the second time, when nothing at all happened, I was just lying there because the the first ceremony, those sort of past life memories happened but it was all in a sort of dream state and when i and when i came to i was kind of confused as in had i fallen asleep i wasn't sure what quite had happened and the second time nothing at all happened and i remember writing in my book that i i thought i just you know paid several thousand dollars for the sham (laughs) something (laughs) like that and i was i was very upset and I, i went and talked to the shaman and uh and i said i this is not working for me. And he said, and he said, don't worry, I guarantee you will have a very significant experience uh, in this next ceremony. And uh, boy, I did. 
Were, were you not at all? I mean, being someone who hadn't done anything uh, psychedelic-wise, were you at all afraid of doing this? Um, I think I think that uh, probably the uh, doing what I did, and I think I'm a bit of a reckless person. <laughs> but uh, I, um, it's more that uh, I have a, a, I guess, since a kid, a little bit of an intellectual bent and always reading and, and talking about it. And there got to be this point where I thought I was I was convinced that there was some sort of greater reality, and I wanted to experience it rather than just talk about it. Right. Right. And and um and I guess some people were telling me that was really crazy, but I thought it was it was a more reasonable way to go about it than say some friends at a party or something. You're going somewhere where there's somebody who's taken it a million times and you're with a bunch of other people and they're all there for the same reason and so it to me it seemed I was definitely at you know out of my element it was also the first time leaving the country right. and uh, so um, so I, I definitely looking back on it I definitely think it probably appears as pretty reckless and so I guess that means I'm pretty reckless <laughs> I don't know or irresponsible I'm not sure but um I mean, it take, it's, a, it's a, definitely a big mark of courage for you in my book. I mean, I think that that takes uh, – and, and you went by yourself, right? I mean, you Yeah, I went you, by myself. Yeah, see, that's balls. <laughs> <laughs> that's not reckless, dude. That's balls. I mean, I, I – you – not on a bet would I have done that. Um, uh, you don't even fly. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, uh, I mean – I have to ask this because I, I haven't yet, I don't believe, mentioned this on on the the podcast, but uh, in fact, I know I haven't. Um, I was telling Jeremy that in addition to the, the overlay experience that you, you, you related that you had heard me talk about, um, I mean, that's very hard to describe uh, to anyone who, who hasn't experienced something like that. But I had more or less a similar experience i don't i don't know how long ago that was jeremy what last was that last weekend i think i told you about seeing the lightning uh yeah i have a tendency for some reason on some nights to wake up um usually somewhere in the three to four o'clock area and um i have an overlay when i wake up uh i'm very awake i'm very coherent but as I sit there in the darkness that is my bedroom, I see things moving in this overlay type of thing. And, and when I look into the hallway where I see light, it doesn't seem to dissipate at all. It just seems like, again, it's, you're seeing through this clear, dense imagery. And, and this one was waking up and seeing, and you tell me if any of this sounds familiar across any psychedelics that you've ever had experiences with. Well, I've, had, I've had similar experiences waking up, like what you're saying, not... not under the influence of right it. yeah i mean that's the thing i you know i drank orange juice before bed or something and that's, <laughs> i mean and, and nothing added to it but i saw bars what looked like bars and they were reasonably thick uh bars that seemed to be overlapping and weaving each other uh in all of these really bizarre directions seemingly random seeing things that looked like uh tubes that were they they had some kind of pattern on them, but I couldn't quite make out if they were like scaly or whether they were dots or what they were. But all this stuff is kind of like 
right up in your face. I mean, it's like you feel like you need to back up from it. Yeah. Uh, but there are bars that are going over top of bars and in between and underneath and over top. And, and, and I shut my eyes because I did at that point say, okay, I, 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 this happened before. Let me, I want to see this. And I shut my eyes and I just laid there. And as I laid there, these things, I seemed to be going through them. Like they're either moving towards me or I'm going through them. And at one point, and, and it sounds dumb to say this, but I, you know, my eyes are shut. And uh, I've mentioned before on the show that there's a time where you shut your eyes and you see nothing. And there's a time where you shut your eyes and you see this expansive void of blackness. And I guess my vision was in that kind of mode because I saw a flash off to my left-hand side. And I opened my eyes because I was like, well, what was that? Was that something in the room? It wasn't. I shut my eyes again. The weaving started. The tubes, the movement of intestinal-looking things. And I was looking over in the direction of this flash. And I saw a streak of lightning come out of a distant sky and go behind a green mountain. I mean, I saw the little bitty trees on this mountain like I was miles away from it. But it was so lush. It was the greenest green I can ever imagine seeing. The lightning had a purple, bluish hue around it. And I just said, this, it, to my eye, to my visual cortex, this was miles away. But miles away inside of my closed eyelids. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> And, and after that, it more or less dissipated. It was it it left. I mean, the, the weaving and the the tubes and all that just left. Um, I mean, is it with ayahuasca? Do you when you shut your eyes? Obviously, you see a lot of things. But does any of that ring a bell to you, or or it, seem familiar? It it definitely does. I I uh, I would say after listening to you guys and how you described sort of in the sort of abduction experiences the the sense of hyper reality. The 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 uh, the one of mine that most closely reflects it was my experiences with Salvia, which other people um, like one of um, when I came back from from Peru, I had some friends who had taken lots of psychedelics, and I just naturally assumed that all psychedelics were the same, and you know that they were experts and everything like that, and because they sort of talked about themselves that way, and I was like, wow, you guys are so brave. I was you know, calling for help and stuff. And then we all decided to try salvia, and they freaked out. And um, one of my friends was calling calling out for his brother and stuff like that. But I don't know why. For me, it, it doesn't have that experience. I'm in, in absolute awe. I'm, I feel like uh, there's a, another dimension of perception. The, the world I'm looking at is the same, but it's, it's not the same. I... This is it's a, a really, really difficult thing to describe. But almost as if in every every spot I look at there's uh, an, another three hundred and sixty degree angle from that one point. I <laughs> I'm not doing good at, at describing it. But it, it but at least from, from what you guys have described, it uh it definitely seems similar. Hmm. Well, let me also ask you this. I, um, I, I was looking up older posts of yours on uh, the Paracast board today, and um, at one point you described 
being meditating once. Uh, oh when yes, you were with the Gurdjieff uh, Foundation or Institute or whatever it was, and you'd had an experience similar to one of mine. Um, right. I, I don't know. Can if, if you want to just elaborate on that a little bit, and then and then my follow up question will naturally be. Um, how does that relation, you know, how does that, uh, compare to, uh, you know, the drug trips? Okay. That was, that was many years back. And, uh, they had this, uh, 30 minutes sitting before every meeting. And, uh, I, I, what is the Gurdjieff institution first um, institution or foundation uh, foundation? Basically you, um, at least the one that I was involved in, you just go in and for 30 minutes, you would have a sitting where basically you would, it's very zen-like. You just sort of uh, sense yourself and be present, that sort of thing. And at the time, I didn't I didn't see much value in it, but I did it because it was part of the protocol and everything like that. And um, and then afterwards, you you just sort of sit in a circle and you talk about the different ideas and everything like that. And um, I was I was there for maybe a year until I decided it wasn't really doing anything for me and and left. But um, during one of the sittings, I was uh, I was sitting there, and um, the same thing would sort of happen every uh, every time. Would be that my uh, left leg would go numb, and my back would just start killing me because you have to sit completely motionless for thirty minutes. And those two things would just happen every time, and I hated it. And then this one time, I was sitting there, and they were they were talking about maybe somebody had discussed something about being actively passive and I was thinking what the hell does that mean and how can you be actively passive and I was just sort of running that through my head and I remember that was sort of the last thought that was running through my head before this happened and and then uh, I felt something come in through the top of my head some kind of energy and it traveled down my spine and um, all the pain in my back went away and the, the numbness in my leg went away I felt like it was just kind of vividly <laughs> radiating or something like that and I felt like I could kind of sense somehow through my closed eyes and uh, it was and then the, the weird thing was after it was done it didn't it didn't immediately dissipate it was like there was a, a residue like after a camera flashes it felt like I could still feel whatever that was and uh, I mentioned it I mentioned it to the people there and they, they didn't really have anything to say when you say s- sense through your closed eyes, you mean you could see the room through your closed eyes? It, it wasn't like I could really see. It wasn't. It wasn't so much visual. It was like I, I had a, I had a sense of where everything was, and it, but it, but I couldn't really describe it as seeing. But it, it sort of was. It was. I don't know. I guess. I guess <laughs> sort of akin to describing hearing if you didn't have hearing or something like that. It seemed like some other kind of sense. And I'm not sure what really, but um, it was that was just sort of subtly there. What was more intensely there was this feeling of like something radiating out of me, and um, all of the pain in my joints and everything going away, and feeling like something was just sort of running through me. And does, does that um, I don't know if it's even is it correct to call that an altered state of consciousness? Does it compare to the other altered states that you've been in? No, it, it's not the it's not the same. It was it felt like if I could describe it this way, it felt like completely physical. It, I I didn't it didn't feel like um, my consciousness was was altered. It felt like like something running through my body and changing changing something inside my body. 
and the uh, but right, the, like it should show up on some sort of instruments if they were hooked up to your nervous that's system. What, it should register. That's what it. Right? That's what it seemed like. It yeah. seemed, and the uh, the the psychedelic seemed definitely more in the sort of area of consciousness, and you know, the more sort of sticky, subjective areas and stuff like that. And then this that sort of meditation thing definitely seemed like this physical thing I could. But it didn't. It didn't really seem to affect my my consciousness that much, as far as I could tell. Curiouser and curiouser, Brandon. I don't know. I don't know, man. Brandon, did did anything ever speak to you in any of these experiences? That sort of uh, parasitic thing communicated with me, but uh, it didn't really seem to be talking to me. Not that I can remember. Did has anything ever talked to me or anything like that? That was a that was another thing that I can't quite. Uh, relate to as far as the, the Terrence McKenna stuff. Um, right. The only time there's ever really been a sort of definite other being was that one experience. And I guess I guess sort of another another strange thing, um, just a, basically just an anecdote or a coincidence or whatever, was um, afterwards I started to become more interested in the Castaneda books and things related to shamanism just because I was... I was still in, in sort of awe at not understanding what had happened. And in one of them, it says that part of the training of becoming sorcerer is your, your consciousness can travel as a point of light. And I, didn't, I hadn't read that beforehand. But anyway, I thought that was interesting because it was something I had read afterwards. And it could just be a coincidence, but it was, it was uh, interesting to me anyway. Huh. So, so when in your mushroom experience, you you didn't hear the the logos as Terence refers to it as you didn't hear the voice uh, or anything like that. No, uh, but my my feeling uh, on the on that subject of um, and one of the reasons why I think it kind of ties into the paranormal experience is that I I think there are some kind of layers of awareness. And the conscious one is sort of on the surface, and there's layers going down and down. And depending on what layer your sort of point of perception, for lack of a better word, is on, that's the experience you're having at that moment. And so that that's the that's the impression I get from psychedelics that there's there's more there are more layers further down that are actually experiencing something right now. But for whatever reason, I don't have access to those other layers, but under the psychedelics there are, there is access to them, but it's sort of floating around willy-nilly or something like right. that. Right, the switching system is overloaded, yeah. Did the um, the shadow parasite creature, um, was it fearful of the fact that you could perceive it? Yes, oh, that was another thing. I, I felt this, this terrible fear and... I had this realization that I was feeling its fear because it knew that the shaman was trying to drive it out, and I could feel it inside my stomach moving around as if to try and hide or escape. Hmm. It was it was very bizarre because at one point I was I was kind of freaking out, and the shaman asked me if he could blow something into my chest. I mean, smoke. He had this mapacho uh, sort of a to, like hand rolled tobacco, and I said okay, and then he blew it into my chest and it, it turned into this golden smoke that sort of exploded onto my chest and uh, I felt some sort of relief from that for some reason huh a lot there are so many bizarre things that happened like that 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'll ever do this stuff, but I'll tell you, it's it's uh, it's definitely some fascinating stuff. I mean, I I truthfully I can't get enough of of hearing different experiences about this, and and uh, uh, I've been traveling to Irwid dot com a lot and reading the different experiences on there has been mind-blowing for for some well for some people i wonder how they function in daily life after seeing some of the stuff that they describe uh or or you know how do you ever look at the world the same way again um and apparently the couple that i've written on there they made the statement that it has forever changed their lives i mean do you do you have that same kind of feeling about yourself? I mean, did it change your life? Did it change the way you look at everything now? I definitely think so. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, you're about the calmest it's... person I've ever spoken with. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> I mean, maybe I need to... Yeah, you definitely... I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, does, is he a singer? What does he do? Because you should read, like, children's books, audio books. <laughs> I, actually do, or something. I actually do sing, strangely enough. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good. <laughs> uh, You're in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so what brings that on, Brandon? Is it is it strictly the the idea that you are, were able to see these other facets of what we think of being reality that that make you just uh, look at everything differently? Uh, is that really where that comes from? I think it's I think it's this sort of thing that um, I guess I I sort of get this impression a lot now um, because I I participate in, in, you know, the Paracast forum and and your forum occasionally and stuff like that. And there's, there's a whole lot of of sort of talking and and intellectualizing. And, and sometimes I think there's, there's such a a big difference with talking about something and sort of intellectually understanding it and having a sort of visceral bodily experience of, of that same thing, which, uh, which is what I think it happened to to me, but it's it's something that's uh, it's not easy to talk about because it's sort of in two different places. I guess the one being able to to sort of talk about it, and then the other one experiencing it but not being able to talk about it so much, <laughs> right. well, I mean, getting kind of tongue tied when you try and talk about it. Well, it, it's it's McKenna's talked often enough about. You know, it's it's indescribable. It's you know, you it's something that you have to experience. It's not really anything that any words could give justice to. It's, um, it's definitely it's definitely true. Yeah. It's, uh, and I, f- I feel like it's it's uh, it's I feel like at least from my personal experience that it's it's something that everybody can experience. But I wouldn't say it was for everyone because it I would think you'd have to be a little bit a little bit reckless because it. it it is sort of similar to like bungee jumping or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Where where it's 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 definitely frightening, and every time I go back into it, there's there's definitely fear involved, and uh, it's it's been a little while, but yeah, there's there's something there, and it's something really big. <laughs> huh? Were you at any point either in the the hell experience or or the blissful ones uh, unaware that you? had ingested uh, a chemical or a drug or whatever, were you unaware of yourself as the person who had done that and so immersed in the experience that that's what was scary or blissful? Not really. I'd say the times when when I had become unaware of that, 
I, I was pretty much unconscious, like what was going on. Like, cause in that one, that one, I think at some point I got so scared that I just blacked out or something like that. Cause they were, um, near the, near the, the first part where it was really, really scary. I, uh, I sort of blacked out for a little while and then there were, there were just like missing patches and then I came back and I remember, you know, coming back and thinking, it's not gone yet, it's not over yet. And other people getting up and leaving and at that point thinking, it's not over yet, it's not over yet. But um, pretty much any time that I had an awareness of, uh, you know, or I was seeing something going on, I was pretty much aware that that was taking place. Um, well, I, then I guess there were there were some points, like I remember in that first one when I was seeing those sort of visions one of them was a, a underground bunker looked almost like a world war ii bunker or something like that another one was a apartment complex in japan and all these weird things like that and um during that that was more like like a dream so i was sort of absorbed in it and i i think at that point i i probably um if i could describe it this way maybe it might make sense have you ever been in a dream and on some level of awareness, you know you're dreaming, but the the sort of conscious part that is making the decisions or that sort of thing, that part's not aware, but some sort of yeah. deeper part <laughs> is aware because at some point you could not be aware you're dreaming and then actually say the words, well, I'm dreaming, and and then wake up and be, because and, that's happened to me several times. I wake up and think to myself, how could I have said I was dreaming and not realized I was dreaming? Some some deeper part of me is aware that I'm dreaming. <laughs> and yeah. for some reason, this sort of surface, one that is sort of perceiving all the weirdness, for whatever reason, is not aware that I'm dreaming. Well, it, it was something It was something like that, where the, the, the top part of me that was really scared at, at certain points, whenever I went into the, went into the dream, into the, the visions, was not aware. But there was some part of me that seemed to be always aware that that the ayahuasca was was taking place, and with the LSD and mushrooms and stuff like that, um, those I was always aware. With the uh, with the salvia, for for a moment, you you it's such a abrupt change that I didn't even realize what had happened a moment before. And I think that's another reason why it's so why that one's particularly terrifying because the first time I did it. It was a bad idea. It was in a party setting. And uh, next thing I, I realized, um, everyone in the room was, was looking at me. And I didn't realize what was happening. And it was it was like there was some massive uh, revelation they were about to tell me. And I was terrified or something like that. And I didn't know what had just happened. And then, and then slowly it started to dawn on me, wait a second. And I took salvia. And I remembered... Um, Okay, wait. Got to keep a sense of humor about this. Don't take it so seriously. All that sort of thing, and so that was sort of what <clears throat> what came into into my head. But at that initial, I think there's sort of an initial shock of whoa, whoa, what just happened, and uh, and you don't even for a moment you don't remember that you did. Huh. Well, what's what's the visuals like on Salvia, uh, Brandon? I mean, what what do you see besides what's already there? Well. See, that's that's another weird thing. That that one has this humongous range of of experiences. My personal ones, I I see the the world like the the ordinary world, but it's it's entirely transformed. 
and I guess that's that's where I, I seem to have this seems to have this feeling of a similarity to that hyper reality okay. because I'm I'm looking at at people but there's there's an indescribable element there that it's it's completely transformed and afterwards I'm I'm just sitting there and with my jaw hanging open in in awe I don't I I can't describe what I've just seen it's uh, does everything does everything look sharper like a fine-tuned TV set, like I've described before. I mean, yes, and not only that, but a few times it's actually, you know, how when a TV set the vertical hold isn't quite on and it flips up, right? <laughs> that that has even happened before. Like the the frame is flipping or something like huh. that. I think that that at least for me, I don't I don't know that I've ever asked Jeremy about this, but I'll ask you both. I mean, in in the presence of whatever these beings are. Everything is like a sharply tuned TV, whether, you know, this is a nighttime experience or a, you know, afternoon or a mid-late afternoon or early evening or whatever. Everything does look like it's a, like it's honed down to a razor edge. Um, everything is sort of buzzing, like literally everything, a piece of furniture, the carpet, the walls are buzzing like they're the particles that are making up whatever I'm seeing are are moving at an astronomical rate. And I tend to see geometric shapes are more pronounced, like a lot more pronounced. Def- uh, definitely both of those, the um, geometric shapes for sure. And one thing I can remember that one of the times I had taken LSD, I, I walked into my bathroom and I looked around and I thought, dear God, my bathroom's so dirty. I'd never noticed it before. It was I could see all the detail of all the the sort of dirt and grime on the counter and on the floor and all these things, all these these just incredible details stood out to me. And yeah. that's that's something that's that's really common and also the the, the colors being almost cartoonishly vivid. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I, I don't see color wise, I don't remember anything of like real significance for me, but I do remember in particular, one experience that that uh, I've talked about before, and it was in the hallway. And I remember l- looking down the hallway, and everything, of course, is really sharp, and everything's buzzing, and everything just looks different. But it's still my hallway. But at the same time, I remember for a split second thinking, how did I not see that big rhomboid going down the hallway? I mean, how do, how do I not see that every time I walk down this hallway? And yet, there it is. It's like the geometric shapes are like ridiculous i mean they're they're i don't know that they're over exaggerated it's just all of a sudden you notice them a lot more and i'm like i walk down this hallway every day i never see that you know um i don't know what the hell that's supposed to mean or be or but that seems to be kind of a constant thing that you just uh everything gets simplified and more detailed if that makes any sense i mean that makes perfect sense <laughs> dude we're on to something i'm telling you <laughs> i mean Come on. So, what do you what do you tell people, Brandon, who say, "Yeah, you were just fucked up"? I mean, what? I don't know. I guess I guess I would say I I think some people are free to have that opinion, and I I generally think people who say that are saying it because because they're afraid, and uh, because anybody who wants to see can can go in and experience it for themselves. And uh, but even still, I mean, maybe it's I'm still not saying that it's anything in particular. I just think it's something other than that. Say something like getting 
you know, hit on the head or something that you'd say would, would scramble your brain or something like that would, would not leave you in this amazing awe, like you just saw something that you cannot describe, like some, seeing something like a UFO, for example, where you're just left in, in absolute awe. That, yeah. that's, how, that's how it's happened to me many times. And it, it feels like um, there's, there's something else to it. And so I would just say for, for somebody who's, who's interested, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's frightening and all that sort of thing. But, it, you know, it's, uh, it's available there for somebody to experience for themselves if they're interested, you know. Yeah. Did the shaman instruct you to bring your sense of humor into it? No, I, I, actually, I actually read that in the, in the Carlos Castaneda books. This is, this is, I guess, kind of a strange side thing. But um, like I said, I had read, it, read the book before, and I, I thought it was kind of whatever. And I didn't even finish the book. And then afterwards, I had this renewed interest, and I've, I've read all of them. I, I, think, I actually think they're, they're really great. And uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, what other people's opinions are on them, so that I, never, I very seldom bring that subject up because I think a bunch of people think it's, it's sort of like hippie nonsense and all that sort of thing. But, I um, think they're great. I think they're great. And the, the first time I was, I was reading it, um, uh, what is the first book? Um, the Tales of Don Juan or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I'm reading it in the park, and uh, this giant, mega-tattooed, gritty, dirty, bearded biker guy with a python or something wrapped around his wrist going up to his hand comes over to me, and he goes, Carlos Castaneda, huh? That book's going to blow your mind. It's going to change the way you see things. And he just sort of nodded at me like I was a brother, you know? <laughs> well, how about you inform the, the uh, unwashed masses who, hear we're, who we're talking about and what this guy is all about? Well, it, it's Carlos Castaneda. I mean, he's an author. Um, I, it, was he a social scientist? Is that what he... Um, uh, I mean, he, what's, he was what's the... A college uh, professor, right? Yeah, um... Who had decided to um, to go looking for for uh, well the, the shamanic experience? He he ended up meeting Don Juan, this guy named Don Juan, who's um, sort of a witch. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that he really called himself a shaman, did he? No, I think he called himself a, a sorcerer or something like sorcerer. that. Sorcerer. So he ends up sort of taking him on as his apprentice, and um, so all of the books are sort of about that, but they're controversial in that. Uh, no one's really sure if this Don Juan actually exists or if Carlos Castaneda was just this egomaniac trying to uh, sort of start a cult around himself or whatever. Um, but interestingly enough, Melissa Reed um, met Don Juan <laughs> at the uh, the first Star Nations gathering. So, huh. so there's that. Um, <laughs> she tells that story on the uh, Culture Contact. And if we ever have her on the show, I'll have her tell it again here because... It's pretty interesting. I might have to pick one up and get my mind blown. <laughs> it's one of those things that it's sort of, it doesn't even matter if he's, if it's real or not in that sense, uh, because the books themselves stand on their own. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it also. I, I'm not, I'm not really reading it with an interest to go back and, you know, fact check and all these sort of things. For whatever reason, it, it's, uh, I don't know, I guess it's sort of the idea of crazy dude describing to you what, what, uh, you know, describing to you a map of your city or something like that, and <laughs> you know that it doesn't necessarily have an have an effect on what he's, on what is being said. Right. <laughs> Great analogy. <laughs> well, 
Well, do we have uh, do we have anything else, or is he free to go? I think I think he's I think he's free to go. Uh, it's been like an hour and a half. <laughs> I, I I gotta say, I feel more relaxed just talking to him. Uh, I know this has been great. It's like taking a bath. Brand, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you tomorrow uh, while I'm at work. When I get really stressed out, I'm going to call you. And uh, okay, I, want you read, I want you to read "Good Night Moon" to me tonight. <laughs> That's <so> good. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> I'll have the book ready. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, just use a psychedelic because I'm high already. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Brandon, thanks a lot, man, for uh, no hanging and talking about this stuff. No, and thanks, I know it's thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we'll we'll definitely have you back uh, with some other folks, and you guys can can uh, go more on this stuff. I mean, I'd like to have you back when we have the uh, uh, roundtable that we're talking about doing with. Uh, Dr. McKenna and uh, and a couple other surprise people. So um, when that comes about to being, I'll definitely let you know. Oh, that'd be great. Very good. Well, have a good night, sir. You too. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye now. Bye. You're listening to Paratopia on UPRN 105.3 New Orleans. At least I think so. I have no proof of that. So, Jeffrey. What do you make of young Brandon D? Uh, Jeff, you're giggling. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was interesting. Uh, I definitely now see what uh, what uh, Terrence and what Dennis McKenna were both saying about these experiences being very hard for the people who experienced them are very, very hard to describe. Um, Brandon seemed to have trouble kind of, you know, trying to paint us a picture of exactly what he saw or what he experienced on some of these things. Um, and, and I guess that's what they mean when you say you, you had to be there. You had you have to do this and to really know what it's like. Uh, I did find the shared experience of all the people in the little ayahuasca group being outside and seeing a completely different landscape bathed in a, a silvery light and a big moon. Yes. that was very bright. Um, I, again, I think I find that rather telling about uh, exactly what's going on there. Uh, you know, heard uh, the voice, the whatever voice, uh, while on the drugs, um, who started hearing it before he ingested them. Right. Um, so this leads me to, to wonder if using these things as a tool, if they aren't uh, just sort of training mechanisms or something, kind of the way we were talking privately about psychics who say that they use like the tarot deck or they touch objects uh, to get a vision, uh, something like that, yeah. that all of those tools are sort of superfluous, just objects to concentrate on. And I wonder if um, you know, the drugs are, are the same way. They're just, they sort of enhance you. Yes, they enhance, they, they give you more of the, the actual chemical in your brain or whatever. You know, they bond with your the chemicals in your brain and, and open the door that way. But they also promote belief in you that this is going to happen, you know? Right. And, um, and so it opens you up that way permanently. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe, know? yeah, yeah. Um, so in other words, it's the blue pill. It's the red pill type, blue pill, blue pill, red yeah. pill type of thing. It, it None of it's really real anyway. It's the <laughs> televangelist telling you you're healed and then you walk. And right. then, you know, 45 minutes later, you can't walk anymore. Yeah. 
and you don't know why. Well, I mean, it's because I, I, at that moment you had mega belief that you could. Right. Well, I find <laughs> it really interesting, and, and I don't mean to piss off any of the um, uh, magical practice uh, folks out there, but uh, years ago when I was uh, studying all that stuff, the, the Wicca religion and the, the hoodoo and the voodoo, it seemed like uh, every book I read, every person I spoke with, uh, you know, they that all that those things are steeped in actions and steeped in um, uh, meticulous makings of just say um, if you go to the hoodoo uh, stuff like a, a grigri bag where you make uh, a grigri bag to to draw money to you or just, let's just say the money thing you you put a powder and you put a you know a lodestone and all of these different things into this little bag and. And then you meditate on it and all that kind of stuff. But the overwhelming um, uh, note about the whole experience of making this bag is that you have to believe it's going to work. You have to have absolute certainty that this is going to work. So at that point, what do you need the bag for? <laughs> you know, it's just like you said, it's all uh, – I, I, I sometimes kind of toss around the idea that the action of, of making the bag really has very little to do of whether you're going to have money uh, drawn to you or love drawn to you or healing or whatever that it's uh, – uh, but but in some weird way, there's this, there's this need for ceremony and there's this need for uh, – I don't know uh, – from from wherever these traditions came from, somebody actually sat down and said, you have to do this and you have to do that. You must have the eye of Newt. You must have the toe of Frog uh, because that's all sort of – it's I don't know. It's, it's more or less all in that uh, you have to go through a trial of some sort in order to gain this uh, outcome that you desire. Mm. Um, that's also another big thing in magical practices is that uh, most will tell you that if you're just entering into uh, any sort of magical practice that um, more or less when you, when you start into that, you're going to be somewhat tested. You're going to have odd things. You're going to be poked and prodded uh, in an effort to sort of test your mettle as far as uh, how devoted are you to the goal that you're trying to achieve through a magical practice. So I look at the, psychedelic thing is, is almost that same kind of deal. You're, you have to prepare this mixture. You have to um, have the courage. And I, and I think it's no small amount of courage that you have to have. What Brandon did, I could not do. Go by myself to a, you know, to a, a very far off jungle somewhere and sit in a hut with no medical attention around, no hospital, no ambulance, uh, and and drink something made from biotechnical plants, uh, and and I'm going to be my entire uh, psychology for a while is going to be completely altered, <laughs> and I'm going to see things and go somewhere, and, and there's no safety net whatsoever. Um, so I think it's no small amount of courage that again you're being tested. How bad do you want this? How bad well, do you want to see? That's one yeah. aspect. That's that's. Uh, all fine and dandy, but the other aspect of, uh, the, you know, getting back to, you know, how, how did they know how to make ayahuasca in the first place? Well, mm -hmm. the plants told them. Uh, so if the plants are speaking to you already, why do you need to make ayahuasca? You know, it's this, 
almost a weird sort of the same well, odd paradox as we see in ufology in some sense. You know? Yeah, I mean, well, again, we don't know the whole story of, of that and, and how they, they knew about the MAO inhibitor that had to be added uh, by way of another plant to release this in, in, to be ingestible. But uh, could it be that, uh, you know, one psychedelic drug such as uh, a mushroom um, – and if they in, ingested five grams worth and heard the logos as, you know, as Terrence says, the voice, uh, maybe the voice told them this is what you have to get to get to the next level of, uh, you know, of, of, uh, of being out there on the edge. So who knows? Um, uh, which brings up something I've wanted to mention before. There is uh, somebody I'd like to bring on the show in relation to all this. Uh, as a gent, I believe from over in the UK, I've, I've seen his videos a couple of times. Um, I'll have to find him again. I don't know his name, so I apologize to him ahead of time. Um, this guy is a serious explorer when it comes to this stuff. And um, he has heard the voice via the mushroom. And he said, the voice said to him, read your DNA over and over and over. He said, that's all it said over and over and over. Um, and he did say that it was a very deep gravelly type voice saying, read your DNA. And then he began to have visions of DNA helix, you know, that type of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, again, we've got to have him on here because he, he has some amazing things to talk about. Um, cause it seems that his experiences do fall very much in line with McKenna's stuff. Um, uh, I, I think, I think when it, with Brandon, I think, uh, uh, I, you know, do you have to go to the way of saying you just didn't take enough? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he did or no, he didn't. I don't, I don't buy you that know? because he, he, it's not like he took one thing. He took, you know, he did the, the big power drug. What was that called? Uh, San... Oh, Salvia. Serengeti? Salvia. Salmonella? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's I mean, you know, a, but that's a completely different experience from a mushroom. That's completely. So you're different. saying specifically the mushroom is the the gatekeeper to to, to well, all wisdom and. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, all I know is what I've been, you know, what I've been told about. I've been told that the mushroom is a lot more coherent than, say, DMT, which is incredibly fast and, um, uh, you know, the the whole thing is supposed to go by reasonably quickly. Uh, and it's it's uh, it's frantic and it's uh, hysterical, whereas the mushroom seems to come in waves and be um, not subjective. Well, subjective in that sense, but not, it seems to be a lot more gentle. It seems to be you have a lot more time to understand what's going on. Um, the more people I talk with about the mushroom, it appears to I don't, I don't, almost be pyramidal, like a like a wavy pyramid in the way that you're looking of. Uh, uh, a peak, um, you know, you, you feel it coming on and then it comes back down a little bit and then it goes back up past that point and it keeps going like that until you reach this zenith peak and then you come back down the other side of that pyramidal shape of, of a wave, um, which I think gives you time, you know, in those, in those down spots to kind of absorb what's going on. Whereas DMT is, woo, 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 you know, everything's happening right. so fast. Salvia is even worse than DMT, it sounds like to me. It sounds like, you know, by the time you take the third drag, you're gone. 
Whereas uh, the one person that I know who's done Salvia has said it frightened the hell out of him because it's just it's just so fast and it's so frantic and bizarre that you really don't have time to to absorb what's going on. So I think the mushroom sounds like the most coherent thing to do, or ayahuasca. You know, uh, one of those might be a little bit more coherent. But um, I'm sure with both, there are periods of that you just don't know what the hell's going on, <laughs> you know? Right. So who knows? Um, I don't know. One thing he had mentioned was the, um, you know, the the dark spirit, the hell moment for him where the sort of dark shadow person enters him and he realizes he's living with this, he realizes he's living with this parasitic creature. And, and that's something that is, um, that I've heard before. So that's something that would be, repeatability right that i mean if you're looking at things in terms of um well this can't you know is this just a hallucination uh that your brain is misfiring or is this something more than that that's something i've heard before many many times well, that's yeah, that's actually in um a mckenna book or two that i remember reading um and if i'm no it was definitely it was i think it was definitely the mckenna book um where something comes out of your chest and it's supposedly, which I, I hate to say this, but what really scares me about that is it sounds a little too L. Ron Hubbard-ish to me. Um, <laughs> because well, in that, in that you know, L. Ron thing, Hubbard was hanging out with uh, Crowley's gang, so right, odds right. are he was doing those drugs and seeing right. those things. You know? <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's I find that pretty interesting and, and I wonder what that is, whether that's representative of Ego or what? I don't know. Uh, what, do you, what do you say about that? <laughs> More than one person has definitely said that. And uh, uh, and, th- and there's so many other, you know, points of connectivity between other people and other experiencers, you know, uh, um, on the same drug, the same dosage. Uh, people are seeing some of the same things. And, you know, again, I have to question, what does that mean? Does that mean we're we're seeing somewhere else. Are we experiencing uh, a wider perception? Who knows? I think, uh, I think, unfortunately, that uh, as far as it applies to what we're talking about on this show, um, I just don't think the majority of researchers are willing to entertain that. <laughs> you know? Well, it, it, uh, you know, if you want to get back to this isn't woo, this is nuts and bolts. I mean, what you're saying there is. Everybody took the same dosage. Therefore, everybody was seeing through the same eyeballs. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was random and they all took the same dosage, mm-hmm. uh, they would all be seeing different things. But clearly, having the same dosage of this thing uh, provides the exact same window in the same way that having similar biology in your own eyes uh, well, yeah, produces yeah. I mean, that well, same vision. Yeah. Uh, it's like tuning a radio. I mean, you know, 680 FM is going to be, uh, you know, a certain dosage. And if you're tuned to that 680 FM, you're going to see that that uh, that level of reality. If you are all at different levels and you're all on different stations, maybe you're all going to see something different and some may see nothing. Um, you know, I mean, the, the one night, apparently all he saw was the little light that flitted around above the shaman's head. Um uh, and again, that was explained to them as that was that was the older shaman kind of checking out, and make sure he's doing everything right. I think that I think that the part of me that says, okay, 
there's all these different experiences that Brandon had down there. I have to wonder, uh, you know, this stuff is, is picked and it's ground up and it's put in a pot and it's boiled. And the question is how, I mean, you're definitely not getting medical grade stuff. You're getting potent stuff. That's for sure. But there's no way to really control that dosage that you're getting. It's poured into a bowl for Christ's sakes, you know, up the sun has grown low. It's time to take it off the fire. I mean, you know, what if you could get to that dosage like Strassman did when he was injecting a certain amount of DMT into people? There's the consistency. Uh, you know, a lot of the percentage saw beings, experienced beings, other people, other places, similar things. Whereas the ayahuasca, it's how much you take into your mouth. It's how much gets to your stomach. It's how much you throw up. Um, it's, it's how long the plants were boiled, how much was inserted into the water that's, that's used to extract all it's very inconsistent to me when you're talking about dosage in that kind of setting. So I question, did he get enough every night to really bust him through? Um, I mean, there's a part in the DMT experience where they talk about hearing a crinkling like uh, cellophane being being uh, stretched. And at a certain point, that cellophane breaks and you go uh, and you are propelled through this chrysanthemum, they call it, um, stunning red colors, which then leads you into the, the round room with the softened lighting and the, 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 little, the little DMT tykes. There are people who Strassman dosed and they only got to the point where they felt the incredible internal pressure and hearing the crinkling of the cellophane, and then it was over. They said that was incredibly uncomfortable, uh, almost fearful, because they couldn't break. They wanted to break through that, that, that whatever it is, and couldn't. Mm. Uh, so, well, you know, all of that said, Brandon uh, did tell us privately um, that he only said about half of what he wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately we don't know <laughs> half the half of it. We only know the half of it. Right. right. So maybe he did get to some of those things and it just, you know, didn't come up yet or, right. you know, he forgot about it or whatever. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'd like, I'd like to explore this more. I would like to hear his voice one more time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, what a relaxed dude. You know, it's, I'll tell you. As high strung as my ass is, I'm, you know, I'm like, dude, should I really do this so I can be like him and be like, yeah, Jeremy, it's really good. Yeah, I really hope nobody listens to this while driving or operating heavy machinery. (laughs) Heavy industrial. Nitol will help you get your Z's, you know? Yeah. um, (laughs) uh, Fascinating guy. I mean, a guy with a hell of a lot of courage as far as I'm concerned. I mean, really. Um, I think it's amazing that, and you got to thank people like that for going out on the edge where, Cowards like me won't go, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, th- these people are, uh, I mean, he says reckless, and I don't see it as reckless at all. I see it as somebody who is uh, has a burning desire to, to see more of this reality. My problem is, is I've, I think I've seen more of this reality, and it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, that's, uh, I, I think that, that's a, that shows a lot of character for him, and, uh, and kudos to for having that kind of bravery to do that. Cause that takes some balls. Yeah. And, uh, how about this? How about, you know, there's another one of our listeners who's completely eloquent and, uh, thoughtful and not just a, a, a moron. 
I don't know. Just the more I like, the more I talk to people in the forums or, you know, have these interactions on the show or whatever. Um, I feel like we're fortunate. Like, you know, you go to some of these other websites and it's just rife with, with stupidity. How well, do yeah. we luck out? <laughs> Is it all uh, just that we set a tone and then the smart people tuned into it or, or they were, you know, I don't get it. Well, you'd how like we, to think so, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd like um, to chew my own horn again for another week in a row, but I, I, I don't know how they I, can this time. I, I think, think we just got lucky. Just, I think we're that's exactly what I was going to say. I think we're just lucky because um, we got nothing but smart, intelligent people on our board who, who really, I mean, despite the fact that I don't get much time to reply online very much these days, but they ask all the really good questions and you don't get any of those dumbass questions of, uh, you know, so what do you guys think about, uh, you know, the drones, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. You just don't get that at the Paratopia boards. You get good stuff. And, and, you know, more than a couple of times people there have made me seriously think. Um, so, you know, uh, and that's hard to I do will. making you think. Uh, yeah, it is because I, <laughs> I'm just running my ass off all the time. And then I tend to stay up late and, not get enough sleep, which makes me like I am now, <laughs> which is barely coherent. I've been trying to make him think since I met him, people. Okay. Um, he doesn't like those jokes. He doesn't like those jokes. Uh, Inferiority <laughs> complex coming into play. I feel it coming. It's going to hang no, up on me. No, not at all. Stop uh, me. <laughs> I'm not that other fat guy. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean – uh I think we did just get lucky, but I think I, I think we've also lucked out and got some great guests to have other things to say besides the same old tired shit we hear in ufology all the time. Um, you know, if ufology is going to burn anytime soon, I'll be I'll be more than happy to uh, lend my hand to a torch. <laughs> well, that's just it. You know, in terms of our guests, like yes, we have these guests who are saying things that are, you know, that we'll hear feedback on, like, wow, that's great, that's completely different, your shows are completely different than what we're hearing, but it's then not followed up with a bunch of amateurish questions um, that, that you would then expect from people who have not uh, been subjected to this type of scrutiny of this subject. Right. You know what I mean? Like, their questions aren't then remedial questions, they're actually good questions and good yeah. responses, and... Yeah, you know, I don't know. I feel like we uh, we we started. We're all honors students here at Paratopia. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> you know, that I mean, as far as myself is concerned. But uh, I, I think that when we started this, I think we had every, and I hate to sound like a like a fairy here, but um, <laughs> I think I, I told you that when we started this, that this is really going to be good. I mean, I did say that to you over and over. I said, this is really going to take off and it's really going to be good. And um, uh, and and I'm not going to give the number because I don't want to sound like we're bragging out here. But we've got a crap load of listeners already after 18 episodes, which I never expected that kind of, of response to this. And, you know, the, the message, message board interactions uh, are great. But when you start thinking about the amount of people that are listening to us uh, – I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm incredibly happy about that. And, uh, 
and humbled that that many people would take time out of their day or night to, to listen. I think that's, that's so freaking awesome. I can't believe it. Um, I do think we're incredibly lucky. I think that's really what it boils down to. Um, but we're doing what we said we wanted to do, which was to kind of stay inside ufology to a certain point and talk to those people, but then go outside and, and see what new things that we could drive in that, you know, other people might have valid points. And, um, and still to date people, the, the most downloaded, listened to episode is the McKenna episode, Dennis McKenna. Uh, he's still at the top of the list by more than two or 300 uh, downloads. So, um, you know, I, I think, like I said before, I think that was uh, well worth doing. And we are going to have him back with uh, some other people uh, for a big roundtable on this subject and see what more we can poke out of it. Um and, and maybe when that time gets closer, maybe we should put out the, the trolling net for questions from the message board as well uh, because they do ask such great questions and they all are very smart, intelligent people. And don't uh, worry, Quantum slash Zed. You will get your physicist yet. Yes, yes. We're working on that. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm really happy, man, with all uh, everything the way it's going. And um, uh, oh, oh, yeah, we're going to have shirts soon. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All sure. this buttering them up just to sell them stuff. Brilliant, yeah. Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, yeah, we're gonna we're have some pretty fun shirts out. So, uh, um, you know, because something has to fund this crap. We got to do something. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, it's not always that cheap to do a podcast, but it's it's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, so, what do you think? You want to do? Uh, you know, what another ten episodes? <laughs> yeah, and then we're done. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> so, Jeremy, uh, do we have anybody lined up for next week? We don't, do we? No. Why? Do you? I might. Really? I might. Yes. Anything you'd care to reveal? I wrote Richard Dolan today. Yes, that I know. Well, I'm crossing my fingers that he might come on our show. Did, did he write back? He hasn't yet. But <laughs> so, I said I'm holding. So this is a cheap plea to Richard Dolan in the hopes that he's a listening and b going to respond. Rich, please come on the show. <laughs> please. We promise we, really, we won't grill you no. about Cassiopeians. No, we won't. We won't. Fifth dimensional reptilians. We have though something very important that we want to talk to you about, and. Um, uh, and get your take on, and it's important. So please come on the show. Please answer my email. Is this pathetic? I'm begging for guests. Yes. We, we've gone from we're awesome and lucky to begging for guests. <laughs> we're not really – we're just begging for him. <laughs> That's right, uh, for a guest. So, yeah, we'll see what pans out with that, but uh, hopefully Rich will come on and we can, um, you know, we can talk to him. And, and, and truthfully, I mean, yeah, it does have – um, somewhat to do with the, the the stink that's been raised elsewhere about, uh, you know, his comments about uh, Laura Knight's uh, book dealing with Cassiopeians and lizard men and all that kind of stuff. But it's not not in the direction that you might think. We have a kind of a different way of looking at it here at Paratopia. That's right. And if you don't know what the hell we're talking about, uh, tough. Tune in next week for another <laughs> exciting episode of Paratopia. Dun, dun, dun.